This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. After a week away, I am back to host the show. Um, nowhere near as delicately sounding as Guy Clark standing for last week. Um, but with David Hughes, he, he hosted the show with um, with Lee Scott, I believe. Um, interesting little podcast on Lee's book, I think. Yeah, Lee come on last week. Really, really good guest. You know, I really enjoyed speaking to him and feedback on the episode was really good. So he... Uh, he helped fill your big boots, so to speak. Um, but yeah, no, good good episode. Good to have you back. And uh, looking forward to today's show as well. Yeah, I'm good to miss it, to be honest, because uh, I've worked with Lee in the past and I know he knows his stuff. So hopefully that was a decent little alternative episode. Uh, I think it's actually the first I've missed since the start of Analyzing Anfield, about maybe 18 months or so ago. But in the period I was off, week or so, absolutely nothing seems to have happened, uh, certainly from a Liverpool perspective. Um, but we're going to, the, the positive side is that the, the season is about to start, so we're going to talk about, we're going to look ahead to Leeds' first game we've, able to, we've been able to properly preview for a while. We're going to look at the season ahead, even though there's still plenty of transfers still to happen. And we're going to have a little talk first about Brewster. Um, obviously, there's some reports around him. First of all, I would just like to mention uh, the last podcast I was on. I received one or two direct messages after the podcast just informed me of sound issues. So, you know, if that's, if that's the case, you know, we apologise. It stems from working from home and that sort of stuff. We are working on it. Hopefully, this episode will be better. But it is something we are, we are aware of. We're going to fix and it will almost certainly completely go away once we get back in the office but you know that remains to be seen when that'll happen so stick with us in the meantime but Leanne Brewster Dave um, supposed to be well ruined to be Liverpool rumoured to be willing to let him leave on a permanent deal um, you surprised? I'm very surprised I didn't I didn't really expect it um, I don't I don't really know where to stand on it either I mentioned this yesterday, but um, you know, on on one hand, um, I thought he could be a really good option for Liverpool this year, especially with the the lack of new faces kind of coming in, specifically in the attack. You now we can presume even if Liverpool end up getting Thiago, for example, over the line, that there won't probably be much more business happening. Um, so Brewster seemed like a really good option, uh, especially if they needed a plan B maybe to adjust how to play and then go with an out-and-out number nine. Um, so to see them kind of looking to sell seems a bit bizarre. I know there's a potential buyback clause included, which we'll touch on in a bit, I'm sure. Uh, but on the whole, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I think Liverpool probably could do with them sticking around in the squad, specifically, specifically given how we performed at Swansea last year and how he's looked in pre-season. Yeah, I was surprised myself. Um, he's being hailed really as the, as the next big thing. Um, I, I, I can't help thinking to myself, maybe if it was a normal environment, you know, without the corona stuff, this probably wouldn't happen. But maybe it's maybe it's Liverpool struggling to 
to sell a few players, maybe you know the likes of uh, Harry Wilson, Carey, Arigi, Grujic. You know they're all floating around, and they're going to get very limited minutes next season. So I think Liverpool will want to sell, and if Liverpool are looking to get reinforcements in, you know the way they operate, self-sufficient model, and all that sort of stuff, we we want to bring in sales for the, for the for the buys that we make. So maybe that's related to it, but yeah, I was surprised. Um, but I, th- I think because I've got so much faith though in what Liverpool do, and Klopp especially, and you know the, ju- the judgments of Klopp and stuff like that, I can't help thinking that if this is true, he, he just he must not tick a major box. There must be a major box he doesn't tick. Um, I'm inclined to think it's it's nothing to do with the mental side because I think he's. I think he applies himself really well. He's a he's a patient, professional kid. But I think the the must be something that he just falls he falls really short in. We we kind of see things always from outside the bubble bubble, sorry, and people always forget that. You, you we I don't just mean us too, I mean just everybody who watches football, you form like concrete opinions on things that you basically basically just see in a match. But you'd have to remember that, you know, the coaching staff, Klopp, etc., they're watching the player inside that, like, you know, they know them inside out and they're watching them every single day in training. You know, they're getting to know the character of the player. They're getting to know all the intricacies of the of how they play, you know, movements they make. They, they know them inside out. And if they're, if they're deciding that this player can be sold, then the chances are that there probably is a reason why. You know, there is maybe just something lacking that Klopp feels like is essential to succeed in his side. Obviously, this is all, you know, working on presumptions here, but I just have to agree with you. I think there must be something there. They, I'm talking about Liverpool coaching staff, know the player so much better than we do. They've watched them so much more than we do. Um, And they're obviously forming their opinion on that. Um, And I'd be inclined to agree that their opinion is probably a lot better than than ours on, on this situation. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's two boxes that I've just, you know, complete guesswork, but there's two boxes that I think he, he does seem to, well, one in particular he does seem to lack, and the other is a complete guess, but I know it's important for Liverpool teams. So th- that one is is the, is physical capacity. I'm just wondering whether maybe he's, because I think, I think when Klopp was asked about which, which one of his players has surprised him the most or something like that. Um and he got he got it got put to him, you know, is it Andy Robertson because he was only bought eight million from Hull. And Klopp actually said Trent. And the reason he said Trent is because although he was a, a, a clearly a very talented kid, very good player, Klopp was quite amazed at how he came on physically and was able to demand able to cope with the demands of Klopp's system and training every day, playing three matches a week. A lot of players can't do it. You look at, you know, Naby Keita. I mean, whether it's a growth space or not, but Naby Keita hasn't been able to get consistently in the side. And a lot of that's to do with health and fitness and being available and stuff. Storage had problems. Um, so I, I think, you know, maybe with Bruce, there's, there's something there in terms of his physical capacity. I think Coutinho had, was, there's a few rumours around Coutinho with that sort of thing in terms of not having much um, stamina to his game, basically. I mean, I'm not, much of an expert on the physical side, but I'm just thinking maybe Brewster has shown up a little bit to the club as um, I'm not sure how you'd word it really. Not necessarily lightweight, but just 
maybe the robustness sort of thing can three times a week playing regularly, all that sort of stuff in a, in a Liverpool system. That's just a complete guess. And and the other one would be, um, I don't think he's versatile enough. Um, I think he seems to be quite a traditional number nine striker in the mould of a Robbie Fowler, maybe. And Robbie Fowler, as good as he was, I'm probably going to cause a bit of conflict saying this, but he, I would argue that Fowler would struggle to get into the current Liverpool team, despite his finishing being ridiculous. He was very much a, a penalty box nine, wasn't he? I think Bruce is similar. And I think the reason that Eagy gets minutes is because if Eagy can play as Mane as well as through the middle, I think Brewster can... I'm just guessing, but it feels as though Brewster can only play through the middle. Um, and when he does play through the middle, obviously he performs very differently to Firmino. So that changes how Salah and Mane perform on the sides. Just guesswork, but I'm just thinking of what, what made your box... He's not taken for for Liverpool to be willing to sell him. Yeah, and, you know you can still see why um, why so many other Premier League teams want him because there still is a place for um, you know a bracket out and out scorer, you know a classic number nine. You know the plenty of those sides still play with formations that accommodate those players. But as we've said, you know we I think we talked about this two weeks ago, didn't we? Liverpool play with a number nine, but he's actually really a number ten, isn't he? So it's it's pretty clear from what we've seen that Brewster isn't, you know, a number ten, is he? Um, that's not his game. So I just think in in Liverpool's plan A option, you know, the traditional four four, I mean four three three that they play week in week out, he hasn't really got a place in that side. The argument for sticking around, though, for me was something that we talked about about the need to evolve. Um, as a side, you know, change potentially the formation. And I've spoken about it a couple of times now, so I don't want to keep going on about it. But when you're doing that, I do think he is a really good option if you do want to go, say, 4 2 3 1 with an out and out forward up there. I'd be quite confident having him as my number nine this season playing that role. Um, but obviously, it looks like the, the sell, and, and okay. We'll probably come on to it now. The buyback clauses in there mean if he goes to be a huge success, they can probably bring him back for a reasonable price. But you basically say that's two years' time. You're without him for two years and you could miss out on a, on a really good player in that time, specifically when Liverpool are obviously looking to to be really successful because they have decided to do so. Champions League, you know, two seasons ago now, last season, Premier League, they want to try and build on that while they can. And, you, you never know if, if if maybe a player like Brewster could be could be the difference uh, if things are a lot more tighter this year. Yeah, I mean, what Brewster is is you know a, a really really top player, um, Premier League player, comfortably really for me. But I, I will say that there's a there's a massive difference between being a Premier League player and being good enough to play in attack for for Liverpool. You know, the the, the standard is absolutely massive. So, you know, for Brewster to be, Brewster could fulfil, you know, 80% of his potential um, and still, you know, not be good enough to, to start for Liverpool, you know, ever really. Um, if you look at Salah, if you look at Firmino, Mane, you know, the, maybe generational is a bit of a heavy term, but they are absolute elite performers. Um, and I think if Brewster falls short of that, he, he can still comfortably be a, a starting striker in a league side. That's just, 
the standard at Liverpool is is really really high, especially in the attacking areas. Um, yeah, you mentioned the buyback clause. I think it's if you're going to sell them, you have to include something like that. You have to you have to include a buyback clause. You have to include for me as well as a selling on fee. If 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 when he moves from say he moves to Sheffield United, if he moves from Sheffield United to maybe a Leicester in three years. And he's not good enough for Liverpool, but he's became good enough for Leicester. There has to be a selling fee in there as well for me. But the whole buyback clause thing, it is good business, clever business. Um, and it's I think we, we see quite often that the absolute top European clubs insert those clauses. I think Real Madrid have done it quite often. I think Real Madrid have done it with um, they did it with a forward called Mariano, sent him to Leon, balls and back. I think they done it with Danny Carvajal to Leverkusen, Bosenbach. I think that might have been a long, I'm not sure. Barcelona, another side who do it a lot. You know, I remember them doing with who's a good example, Gerard De La Feu. You know, they, they sold them to Everton, but then actually exercised the, the buyback clause. I don't I think that he stayed for maybe only six months and then they, they sold them for profit at Watford. So it is it is intelligence. Yeah, City have also done it with um, Angelino. He, he sold them, I think, to PSV, Bosenbach, and I think he's actually gone back out to think to let uh, Leipzig. But um, it it does it does minimise the risk because if, if Brewster does become something crazy, you know, like a high Kane type, you know, resurgence, Liverpool do cover themselves in terms of being able to get him back for for a reduced fee. Probably got the first choice on that and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it is it is an insistent one, one to keep an eye on. You know, because he's so good and so highly in demand now, this is more of a positive spin on it, really. But if you think about it, teams may be inclined to to just accept that deal with a buyback in, thinking, you know, well, he could score 20 goals for us this year. So, yeah, we prefer not to have it in there because we're vulnerable. But at the same time, um, he, he looks so good that it's a, it's a good deal and we're willing to pay whatever the price would be and leave that in there. Whereas perhaps, say, if they opted to keep him, he didn't really get in the side. So by Christmas, he's maybe only scored one or two goals. You imagine the stock's going to be a little bit less, isn't it? Uh, you might not get the same fee. You might have a side coming in saying, right, OK, well, we'll, we'll take a chance on him, we'll buy him. But we're not agreeing to having a buyback in there. Um, so maybe it is just Liverpool seeing this as the like opportune window to, 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 yeah. to do the sale. Yeah, I mean, it, it could stem from the whole, like, you know, the the performance of them at Swansea. You know, that kind of raises the stock a little bit. You couple in the fact that he's English, he's homegrown. There's all this clamour around his name. So it, it, it that is kind of how it works. That's how it works with Cusino. You know, sell Cusino while he's at the absolute highest of his value. Um, that's Clubs do it all around Europe. I think Lille are quite good at doing it in terms of Say, for example, when Nicholas Pepe had a great season, make sure you sell him because he's probably not going to have another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the lad who's just went to Napoli, uh, Victor Osimhen, sold him for 70-odd million after he's had a really good season in League One. But I think that it does make sense to, you know, when a player's kind of like, not peaking, but when a player's kind of um, at the top of his game, maybe to an extent that he's overperforming and he's not actually that good. You know, sell them for for more. He's probably worth. I'm not saying Bruce is worth, you know, buttons, but it remains to be seen whether Liverpool will actually do it. Um, but the Premier League season is about to happen, Dave. 
looking forward to it. Yeah, I am. I won't lie. Uh, although it's you know it, it hasn't it's been a lot more bearable the, the wait this this time round because it's been so short and we had obviously the the Champions League, which uh, only finished a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I am still looking forward to it. You know, it's kind of for us it's our bread and butter, isn't it? In terms of work and um, outside of work as well. You know, it's it, it is in many ways our kind of life. So it's uh, it's it's good to have it back. Yeah, it, it feels too early to be honest. It really does feel too early. It feels like mm. we're, we're about a, a week and a half into pre-season. Mm. Um, I'm looking at my fantasy team, thinking to myself, you know, who on earth can I pick here? There's, there's no, no one's even played five minutes yet. No. Um, no. But in terms of Leeds, then Leeds United's first game of the season at Anfield. Any general thoughts, Dave? I, I actually think this will be a tough one. I really do. Yeah, I do. I, I wrote about it uh, last week. Just because it was it was quite interesting. I don't know how many people picked up on it, but obviously Liverpool are now playing the championship winners twice on a row in the opening game of the season at home, aren't they? Obviously yeah. lead this year Norwich last. But I made a point of saying I think it's going to be a whole different ball game, really, against Leeds compared to Norwich. You know, because Leeds have comfortably been, for me, the best side in the championship the last two years, seem to max out every metric. Um you know, really good side, really difficult side to play against. Um, you know, we saw how they kind of approached the Arsenal FA Cup game uh, last season. So, yeah, I think it is. I think, you know, Liverpool still maybe aren't 100% there in terms of fitness. You know, for the reasons you've just said, it's been such a short kind of turnaround. And I do think it's a, it's a difficult game. You know, it's a game that they're going to be really up for. You're not playing another Premier League opponent who travelled to Anfield last year and probably got well beaten or you know struggle to impose themselves on the game. I think Leeds are going to be really up for this, you know, confident they can try and get something. And yeah, it's not ideal from a Liverpool point of view. No, I mean the general perception is likely to be, you know, it's a newly promoted team. You're at home, as good as you can get, sort of thing. Which, you know, it's not entirely wrong. I mean, it's probably as as good as you can probably ask for on the opening day. But at the same time, I do think people are probably going to. Overlook leads. I think that, as you as you mentioned there about the metrics, that the, their numbers just capture a, a team that just really well performing, well coached team. Just there's, there's no there's no other way around it. Really, kind of like the um, like the Manchester City of the Championship. Really, every single metric just captures them in a positive light in terms of the whole concept of dominance that we that we try to capture. Um, for me, they've been the most dominant team in the championship for two years in a row. Don't know what happened last year in terms of them falling, falling slightly short. Norwich obviously got promoted. There's been there's generally been quite a few comparisons with Norwich, but for me, although the that both teams kind of like to play football, you know whatever that means. Mm. Um, I think that they are very different in terms of how coached, how adaptable they are. Um, and Leeds is certainly a lot better without the ball as well. But yeah, just on yeah. the metrics then, I'll just reel them off. For, for, I mean, it's worth noting, noting this, is the, this is the championship. So a lot of this, this is the massive question of will they be able to be this dominant in a higher quality league, which you know remains to be seen. So it'll be interesting to see how they cope. But they finished second in the league last season for goals, first for expected goals. First for goals against, first for expected goals against, 
um, first for possession, first for shots, first for shots against, and first for passes per defensive action, which which catches their tendency to be really, you know, a pressing team with the ball. Um, and interestingly as well, obviously, if those that have listened to the show for a while will know that if you're a high pressing team, usually you don't face many shots. But when you do face shots, they're usually quite clear cut. And the interesting thing with Leeds is that although they're a high pressing team and they don't face many shots, when the shots do actually come, they've actually got the best XG per shot in the league. I'm not sure if you noticed that, Dave, but. No, I haven't. Yeah, their their XG per shot against suggests that in terms of the the shots opponents get against Leeds, they're not clear cut. They're they're quite difficult to score. So, um, yeah, I mean, those numbers speak for themselves, really, don't they? Yeah, they do. And um, just to kind of reaffirm our point of also saying, you know, they would have been the best side for two years. I know they didn't didn't come up in that in Bale's first year, but. Um, based on expected points, they comf- comfortably finished above um, above Norwich. You know, I think they, they ended up miss- underperformed by about eight points or something, which seems fairly high actually um, for side in, in the top two. Um, and you know the, that, that just kind of captures that he probably could have and should have come up that year. But I think there was just a bit of a bizarre late season collapse, wasn't there? Where they just seemed to con- have a few strange results and just missed tons of chances and stuff but yeah the, for me they've basically been a, a, a kind of at worst mid-table Premier League side trapped in the Championship for the last two years you know I could have egg on my face at the end of the season if they go right back down but I just can't see it I think that the way they play they're just they're just too good and, and probably should adjust to the Premier League this season and have a decent campaign yeah, no, it is interesting what you've just said there in terms of being a, a mid-table Premier League team because I, I would agree, but at the same time, teams that come up from the Championship with, with a bit of a um, a kind of an idealistic style of play with, with set principles and stuff, I don't usually have a lot of faith in. I usually expect them to go immediately right back down. I, I predicted Norwich to go straight back down just because I knew that the kind of like, you know, utopian brand of football where you just play and really nice stuff and with zero pragmatism and stuff like that you just tend to shoot back down because of the quality step up in the Premier League but with Leeds it just seems to have a, a lot more faith that they'll stay up mm. um, I, th- I think they'll, I do think they'll suffer from from moments a lot more than they did in the Championship I think say for example when you do face shots in the, in the Premier League they like to get punished a lot a lot worse than, than they were last year Specifically against Liverpool, and I think uh, that 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 basically captures why not last year, but the year before when they should have came up but didn't. Although they're absolute top performers according to the metrics, you know you don't you don't win a match by the metrics. There's, there's several things that can impact the result, um, whether that be poor finishing, poor goalkeeping, refereeing, luck, and I think I think for a for a while Leeds have um, I, th- I think they're, they're Quite consistent underperformers, aren't they? In terms of uh, scoring goals, at least, I think a lot of that stems from Patrick Bamford. Yeah, it does. Yeah, he's just a, he's he's a, like a terminal underperformer against his XG, um, and probably would in another side be chopped. To be honest, because his finishing seems to be that 
that poor, but then he, he does so much other good stuff for the side that that's why he seems to stay in uh, week in, week out. But I do agree. It'll be interesting to see how they adjust, you know, um, playing teams in the Premier League, much better size to what they had in the Championship because you go, don't you, from in the Championship, you basically, you, you compare them to Man City. So we'll, we'll use that example. You're the Manchester City of that division. Suddenly you come into uh, the the Premier League and you want the bottom feeders really that and it's it's how you kind of adjust with that mindset I guess um, although it was interesting how they treated that touched on earlier that FA Cup game in January at Arsenal at the Emirates it seemed to catch a few people out but probably myself and, and you included maybe expected the performance but they had a you know the usual kind of high energy tactics they reported a PPDA of, of just 5.5 in that game which is really low. Um, I, th- I thought Arsenal struggled to cope. Um, Leeds had more shots and more shots on target in the game, although the XG was slightly lower. But um, it'll be interesting to see how many times they opt to do that or whether they, they try and do that and potentially suffer you know, against good sides like Liverpool. Uh, and then when it's whether they'll be able to adapt and find a new way to, to start focusing maybe on results rather than performances but they don't know can you adjust such a, a extreme kind of tactic you know the tactics that they play can you adjust that it's it's, yeah. it's a little bit of a conundrum analyzing anfield on the blood red channel we'll be interested to see how um specifically about how marcel bielsa you know takes his first his first season in the premier league um in terms of adapting he's he's, he's very keen when it comes to um, formations and stuff like that. I think they use four one four one most most frequently, but outside four one four one, they they are very very adaptable in terms of just using whatever whatever system shows up best against the opponents. But in terms of his principles of play, you know the intensity, the the, the everybody running, everybody defending, everybody attacking, um very much being a unit sort of thing. It will be interesting to see if if pragmatism finds a way into Leeds' game or if 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 they just keep playing with, with the approach that they know best. I mean a bit of knowing a bit of Bielsa, I, I would expect him to, to remain pretty stubborn with his ways. But not necessarily in a bad way, because I think his ways are really, really good, as you can see by the metrics. Um I think there's been he's had matches in the past. I think he's played um Pep Guardiola's Barcelona a few years back as boss of um, Athletic Bilbao. And I think he man-marked them all over the pitch, which was a complete, you know, one-off mad thing that I think Guardiola spoke about since, as in, like, you know, completely sent me head at the time, basically. Um, so I'll be interested to see if he comes up with something specific for Liverpool. Uh, you know, because he's, he's kind of a, a very experimental tactician, Bielsa. It's also first game of the season. He's knowing the detail that he goes goes through. I mean, didn't he have something like a thirteen page report? I read this in the, um, somewhere thirteen page report on a an opposition's third goalie, was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which is just crazy, and you do wonder, you know, over the summer, although it's only been a short one, it's still been you know maybe eight weeks since their season finished. He, 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 the, say about maybe four since he's known he's playing Liverpool. You just wonder how how much detail he's gone into watching Liverpool in that time. Um, 
you know, whereas maybe if you were playing them four or five games in, you've already had a few games that you've had to prepare for. You've probably only got a week to turn around and prep, prep for Liverpool. But this game, he's been able to kind of methodically look at every detail over a few weeks. And uh, it is interesting if you think they've got something up the sleeve to try and combat what Liverpool normally do. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's known for like sleeping at training grounds and stuff and being extremely obsessive over details and stuff. So, yeah, I think you're right there. In terms of his first Premier League match, being against the champions at Anfield and he's had four weeks to prepare for it, you can only guess it at the, the, <laughs> mad, the mad thoughts that, that's gone through his head. Um, but maybe maybe Leeds and Bielsa will, will, will play in their usual way and use Liverpool on the first game of the season as a bit of a barometer as to where as to where they are as a team, how their usual performance level, usual metrics um, translates into the Premier League against the best. And say, for example, he fared pretty well. And the following week, they face maybe West Ham. They'll probably know then that if, if we perform to the same standard, we should get a result here. So, you know, there's various different ways he, he, he could enter this one. Um, in terms of the transfer business doing, it looks quite interesting. Uh, they've signed Rodrigo. They've signed centre-back from Freiburg, who I am led to believe you pronounce this Robin Koch. And they're also, I can't see it's going to happen, but they're also looking at Julian Draxler at the minute, I'm, I'm led to believe, which is mental. But at the same time, it looks like, do you know what? There's a lot of similarities here with Liverpool, I feel. Because I think I think Bielsa is the type to, to, to like a set group, a core group sort of thing. And if he's going to add any players, they have to be a real step up in quality rather than having loads of players who are just decent. Um, obviously, you look at Bamford being a bit of an all-round striker link man sort of thing, like Firmino, as he underperforms like Firmino does. Um, intent present system. It, 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 do you see the similarities that I'm getting towards there? Yeah, I do. I think you need um, specific profiles of players, don't you? Um, within the within your side to perform in a specific way, um, and on on that basis, I do think it makes sense. Bamford's the, the perfect example. You know, he's he's the centre forward. Um, and if you think it's it's not as if he's just there because they've got no one else. They had Nketiah, didn't he, from Arsenal on loan there. Um, and he couldn't get a game, could he? Um, and he's gone to Arsenal being quite successful. But Bamford's there because he's, he plays this um, specific role within the side that's almost an integral to the wider picture. Um, so I do totally understand. And I mean, the signs that you just named there, I think... You know, I, I was listening to Sky Sports News earlier and they were talking about them potentially doing like a Fulham. And it just doesn't feel like that to me. It doesn't feel like they're just kind yeah. of throwing money at. Come on, what are you going to say? I, I was watching that. that oh, when, yeah. that, when that was live and that got said, I remember looking up at the TV and, and just like shaking my head and thinking, what? Yeah, yeah. So, so lazy. So lazy. Because for me, I think they've, they've, they've bought really well and it doesn't feel like it's been a scattergun approach either. I think they have, you know, I think Rodrigo's going to be a really good player. You know, he's a good technical ability. He's also a, a good size at six foot, so I think he's got enough to kind of adapt to the physicality of the Premier League. Um, you know, how do you say? So it's not Koch, is it? It's Cook, did you say? Yeah, Robin Cook, I think it is okay. how you say it. Mm, but yeah, another good, good buy, you know. 
Um, someone that I, I must admit saw a little bit last season, but I, I haven't watched loads. But I know he's got really kind of dominant numbers uh, in terms of like defensive duels, good in the air as well. Looks to be a really good passer of the ball, which is key, obviously, in, as a defender in um, in Bielsa's side. So I definitely don't think we're seeing no scattergun approach like like Fulham did. No, I agree. I, I like the business I've done. Um, in terms of Rodrigo, he's 29 years old, which is an ideal, but at the same time, it's Leeds' first season in the, in, the, in the top flight since, you know, 16 years. You have to stay in the league. If you can have a player like Rodrigo, you know, Valencia obviously had um, financial issues and he was Valencia's key man last season. So I think Biel, pretty sure Bielsa speaks Spanish as well. So if you can have a player like that, who's, who's going to be a bit of a difference maker at certain points, you know, it's probably worth doing, to be honest. Um, scored four and assisted seven last season in, in La Liga. So he, I think he was kind of a bit of a two-way forward in terms of creating filters and um, putting the ball in the net himself. In terms of Cook, yeah, ball-playing type. Um, alternatives are Ben White, who Liverpool, funny enough, are linked with. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the key man... If, if you look back at last season for Leeds, the key man seems to be uh, Pablo Hernandez. He, se- he seems to be incredibly creative, to be honest. I won't lie, he's uh, he snuck a spot in the FPL, you know. I think it's... Uh, think- I'm not sure if he's going to start this week, um, but I'm also not ruling it out. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he could maybe pull something off at Anfield, but yeah, he is just... For the reason you've just said, okay, he's stepping up, he's old now. Um, but I know he's like early to mid thirties, but he is, his numbers have just been really, really good for for a while at Leeds. This is not a fantasy podcast, but can you remember, <laughs> can you, can you remember his price in the game? Uh, yeah, it wasn't that expensive, you know, which is why I thought I'd take a punt on him. I'll, yeah, uh, you might you might be a little bargain because uh, in terms of his his creation for Leeds last season. He assisted more shots per 90 than Trent did for, for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as assisting those shots, the quality of each shot assist seems to be decent as well. So he, he, he was adding quantity and quality to Leeds' chance creation, basically. Um, he's kind of been used a bit like, um, I don't think really, just a bit like, a, you know, that the mid-table, like a Dimitri Payet maybe, like a, like a mid-table Premier League team who was just okay. But you've got one extremely creative player who's taking loads of risks on the ball and spotting loads of openings and stuff. So, yeah, it's it. a bit like Buendia maybe sort of thing as well. Six, Six million. Mm, which I think is cheap, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, it's an interesting one. That's one way of looking at but I think last year, this time last year, we did we, we did put a note on Buendia's head and said, you know, when Norwich comes to Anfield, keep an eye on Buendia. Mm. He's creative. And when Liverpool played Norwich, we beat them 4-1, but Pookie scored and he was fed by Buendia. Buendia got the assist. So I think if Liverpool are going to take care of the key men of Leeds, Bielsa's system and stuff like that. I think you you nullify them quite a bit if you can keep a lid on what Fernandez is, on what Hernandez is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you've got anything more to add on Leeds, Dave, or should we should we move on? No, I just think if we uh, if we take the kind of you know Liverpool perspective away for a minute, I think it's just going to be a really good game to watch. I think it's going to be one of the 
dead interesting ones. You know, two two champions last last year, albeit different divisions, but um, it's you can see why it's being put on on Sky on the half five slot. Um, it's going to be a, a good game, and you know, one that we should be looking forward to. Yeah, no, it's going to be it's going to be a good game, yeah, and it's going to be. I do think it's going to be trickier than many people are anticipating. Leeds are really, really intense team and very willing to just run themselves into the ground. And any team that's got work rate about them is, is, is a difficult team to face. Liverpool obviously got that themselves, so I'd be interested to see how it plays out. But in terms of predictions, Dave, what scoreline do you want to go for here? I don't actually anticipate a high-scoring game at all. Um... And I always feel like whenever they go for a little bit of a more brave and edgy type, like type of prediction with Liverpool, they'll then go out and punish you and you know win like four 0 or something. But it just as as it feels now, I think it's going to be really tight um, to the point where I'm maybe going two one with a kind of late winner from from Liverpool. Um, maybe when Leeds begin to begin to tire. I'm also going to go for two one, yeah. Um, obviously, there's the the massive caveats of the fact that Liverpool on any given day can win four 0 really. Mm. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be a tricky game. I think it's going to be it's it's really difficult to predict in these times as well, considering the lack of pre-season, no fans in the ground, all that sort of stuff. You know, internationals have just happened. Most of Liverpool's squad was away. Most of Leeds' squad wasn't. So. Yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult one to predict, really difficult one to predict. I'm sure we'll get better with the predictions as the season plays out. <laughs> um, but this one feels... I don't know, it just feels on a knife, on a knife edge. It was, it's a difficult one to preview. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with 2-1 myself, I think, yeah. Um, but the, the season has a hole in. So, obviously, there's, there's about a month left, I think, in terms of transfers happening. So, it, it is really difficult to say in, in definitive now, you know, Obviously, it's worth noting that City aren't signing Lionel Messi, which is a positive. <laughs> <laughs> but if they do sign a player of, you know, in the same bracket sort of thing, not that there's many, then that would change things quite a bit. But, you know, do Liverpool have enough to to win the league again, to retain the title sort of thing? But what, what, are, you, what are you looking at? If I look at City, I think the only thing that's so obvious for me, and correct me if I'm missing something here, I'm pretty sure I'm not, but they still don't look to have really strengthened the defence. You know, they brought Aki in, didn't he? But we've already spoke spoke about Aki, where yeah, he's a, he's a decent defender, but I don't know if he's he's perfect for for City. Um, in, from the kind of aerial duels perspective and things. Um, I said we already spoke about Aki, but you know that to me was like a difference maker between the two sides this year, and I haven't really seen that kind of marquee introduction to that defence. You know, Kulabali was meant, meant to be getting meant to be going there, but that just seems to be rumble on and on and on to the point where you don't know what's gonna happen. So um in short, I don't know, I don't really know how much better City are gonna be, but I do think they'll be more consistent. And you know, I d I don't want to upset any Liverpool fans, but I also think Liverpool probably won't have the same season this season as they had last season. Um no, I think you you, you kind of need a lot of things to go your way again. I think it doesn't look like there's going to be that much strengthening of the of the starting eleven, um, or kind of bringing in some strength and depth is probably the better term. So you're looking at the same kind of core group to go again, 
Um, we know there have, hasn't been many injuries in that side. You know, a third really intense campaign would would they start picking up a few more? Um, and also, I had a quick look at this just to kind of appease my my general thoughts on it. And just under half of the pool's games were settled by way of a single goal last season. And you think, you know, you just don't have the kind of look on your side on those games, then you can drop two two points here and there. And if you have maybe three three of those games, you're six points worse off and things. So I said that I'll, I'll try and finish on a positive, but just from an exit point of view, I'm not. I'm definitely not ruling Liverpool out to retain the title. I just think it's going to be a lot tighter this year. I'm inclined to agree when it comes to City because uh, you know if you, if you look at last season. Their main issue, the main difference between the two sides was um, defence. And if you look at what they've added, they did seem to do business really quickly. But they've only added Nathan Eddie and Ferran Torres. And they've lost Leroy Sane, who you know, weren't really there anyway, but they've lost Leroy Sane. So I think if they add Koulibaly, it's a different story. Um, that would change things a bit. If Liverpool had Thiago, again, that would change things quite a bit. Um, if you look last season at the goal difference, goal difference is generally a good a good indicator of performance, sort of thing. City ended the season last year on, on plus sixty seven, um, Liverpool plus fifty two. Now that suggests that not only is City on Liverpool's level, but the better. Having said that, Liverpool tend to stop playing really when they're about two 0 up, whereas when City go two 0 up, it'll probably end up about seven. Um, so it, it is really fine lines. It, it, it's it's difficult to um, difficult to summarise. I think Liverpool. I don't think Liverpool will. I don't know. You know, it, it's difficult. It's it's tough. Tough. It's it is especially at, especially at this point. I put it this way. I can, I can only see it out of two teams again. Even even despite Chelsea's Chelsea's build, um, the fact that they've they've got Lampard and Gerrard still. And he's got to bed all these new faces in. I can't see them being made for the title challenge yet. Even though I think they'll have a go and they'll be much better this year. I think it's out of two teams. Um, and, you know, ask, asking Liverpool to, to accumulate over 90 points again is a big ask. You know, it, it doesn't happen very often. Liverpool accumulated 97 points two seasons ago. Last season, it was 99 that does not happen very often, three times in a row. Um, not a great deal has changed on the Liverpool side. Milan's left, Lovren's left. You know, I'm I'm missing someone. I feel like there's someone else. Is anyone else? No, I can't. Think. Someone probably yeah. shouting out now, but I mean, they're, they're <laughs> the most profile, aren't they? Yeah, maybe Wijnaldum. You know, but the thing with those three is that they are supposed to be three big leaders in the team, sort of thing. Um, but, but one thing I am expecting, though, if I, if I had to expect, if I had to forecast how the season's going to play out, I don't think Liverpool will start very well. And I think if Liverpool had to win this league, I think it would be kind of a a Manchester United on the Ferguson late resurgence sort of thing. Reason to say that is because if you look at Liverpool's Liverpool's first few games last season, after eight matches, the season was virtually decided. Um, this season, Liverpool's first eight leads at home. We've just captured that leads are a difficult, a difficult match, difficult opponents. 
Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, Villa away, Everton away, Sheffield United at home, West Ham at home, City away. Now, after those matches, again, considering A, the lack of pre-season and B, the lack of fans, after eight matches, I, I don't think Liverpool will be top. I don't, I don't think they will be... I think we, it, it could even be a case of being about five points behind whoever is top. But I think um, that sort of thing has happened before with Klopp. I think the, the first season Klopp won the Bundesliga with Dortmund, I think the following year, they started really shaky. And then um, the second half of the season, I think they, they lost once. I think they, they won like every match or something mad like that and went on some crazy run and retained the title. But I, I would expect it to be a lot tighter, especially at the start. And then kind of like, as I said, like a late resurgence where Liverpool kind of get to grips with the rhythm and, the, you know, they're just kind of doing everything like it's like the robots almost, which, which Liverpool tend to do when they've got a bit of momentum behind them. But I think initially at the start, when there's stops and starts and no fans and all that sort of stuff, I do think it'll be. I don't think it'll be a runaway thing at the in the early stages. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I I actually couldn't predict that. I um I think you know if I kind of go along with that for a second, I can get it. And you think if you get those first eight games out the way, then you've got. I imagine an easier run on paper where it's a lot easier to build momentum. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I keep thinking about that quote that you that you talk about Guardiola's though, where you say the titles won or lost in, in eight games. Um which on that basis it would be lost. But I agree. I, it wouldn't surprise me actually if you did kind of see a massive a massive push later on in the year. And the example you used, the Fergie type thing at United. You know, United seems to do that a lot. United seems to have lost the title so many times in those Premier League years. And then they just finished so strong, put so much pressure on the team above that they'd end up collapsing. Um, but we haven't really seen a tight like, race like that in a long time, have we? Not at least well, not to my head. No, no. And I think that, that's what I'm saying. I think um, because teams have strengthened and stuff like that, and this is kind of like, um, you know, City won the league, then Liverpool won the league. This is kind of like round three almost, or the, the, the trilogy sort of thing. Mm. Um, so it, I just feel as though no one knowing what the knowing what Barclays are like. Um, just kind of wanting this to become a bit of a a, a bit of a dramatic one, really. Um, just trying to get up the the, the season last year after after eight matches. Uh, so. After nine matches then last season, Liverpool had a six-point gap ahead of City. Mm. Um, maybe I'm being a bit harsh saying that I think the gap will be about, could, could be about five points after eight games. Maybe it won't be that much, but I just think there'll, there'll be a bunch of teams, I feel like, after after the first eight games this time around. And I don't think by any means Liverpool will have lost the title and, and by, by that stage. I just, I just think it'll be... It'll be a tight run. It'll be. It won't be a a, a runaway leader in, in in this sort of in this sort of season. There's too many teams who are who are getting stronger, and I don't think Liverpool. I think Liverpool can only really be the same at the minute unless they add Thiago. Yeah, yeah. a bit. 
I'm not first second saying the league wasn't good last year. I know some people try to use that excuse, but I'm not I'm not opening that kind of worms. I, I don't think that was the case. But the league on the whole, aside, you no, know, we just look at the Premier League as a whole rather than just Liverpool for second. It does look really competitive, I think, this year. Now people say that sometimes and uh, it doesn't always pan out like that, but I do think a lot of sides are bringing top players in. And, you know, we're not just talking about the kind of top three or four anymore. Like, you look at the teams in the top ten, they all seem capable of bringing in kind of marquee big names. Um, yeah. And I think it'd be really difficult, for example, wouldn't it, to, to, to kind of name the, the top eight or nine this season. I think I'd find it quite difficult anyway. And that's just going to make for a lot more tougher games and a lot more difficult to get those 90-plus campaigns. Yeah, another crucial another crucial thing to note as well is the the stability that's currently in the league. Um, if you look at a number of the teams in there, quite a few of them teams now have have, have had the same man in charge for at least at least a season now. Like if you look at Southampton, they've still got Arsenal in charge now for the second season. Um, Arsenal are going into it a fresh one with Arteta. Um, Rodgers has had a year at Leicester. Solskjaer's obviously been in charge now for a full season at United. Um, Mourinho's first full season, Ancelotti's first full season. Leeds have, have had Bielsa in charge for about two seasons already. Brighton first, I've, I've got a, a season behind Graham Potter now. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I think there's going to be, it's going to be a stronger league. And I remember saying, maybe last year or something like that, that a stronger league does benefit Liverpool as opposed to City. City's games a bit more idealistic and a bit more, you know, we will dominate you for 90 minutes and you can't always do that against good sides, good players and stuff. So, yeah, uh, yeah. a bit more, you know, okay, we, we will recede for 20 minutes and, and just get the results over the line. Yeah, I agree. It, I'm trying to think now and can you really think of, you, you look at clubs and you can see, you know, managers kind of approaching the end of their cycle at that club. Now, last year, you probably could have said, you know, like Eddie Howe's definitely probably going to end up leaving um, other examples. But you look at the Premier League now and you've just listed a lot, a lot, a fair few names there. There's none of them. that It, it kind of feels like they're very fresh into the kind of, into their positions. And you, you couldn't say like, oh, he's got a good chance of being gone by Christmas. The, the ones who stand out to think maybe Sean Dyche might, this might be his last year at Burnley, not necessarily through bad performances I think it'll just maybe run its course that one a little bit um, but if you look at everybody else certainly in the top 10 I can't see any big managerial changes at all unless there was just some shock collapse within that side and the, the managers kind of pulled the trigger uh, sorry the owners pulled the trigger quite soon can't think of any candidates no 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 I'm saying looking at the league now as well I'm not sure if I'm missing something here and um, I'm not sure how, how often this happens, but I don't think any of them teams, any of the clubs in the Premier League this season, have changed managers like this this summer sort of thing. I think every single club is going into the new season with the man who was in charge at the end of last season. I'm not sure how often that happens, but it doesn't feel as though it's a frequent occurrence. I'm not sure on that one. It is interesting. It does make you feel like every team's kind of fairly settled, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's a difficult one. It's on a knife's edge. It's a, a, a fair group of teams 
kind of bunched together a little bit with, with City and Liverpool still being a level ahead for me. Um, if City get Koulibaly in, that tackle, that does a lot to tackle their main weakness for me. If Liverpool get Thiago in, that does a lot in terms of moving, you know, moving the needle towards winning sort of thing, which which is a saying that we've used before, I think. But it's, I think this is probably one that we'll, we'll revisit in a month when I think every team will have played, I don't know, maybe three games and crucially, the transfer window will have closed. So then you have a much better gauge on, on whether teams have, have addressed their problems or not, basically. Um, but as it stands, it, it does feel a little bit like a, a flip of a coin, basically, to the extent that it could even come down to the, the two heads-heads. Mm, I agree. I'm glad you wasn't going to make us do a prediction there because I haven't got one yet. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that I'm going, to, I'm going to opt against saying who do you think will win the league then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we'll round up there. I'm, I'm about to send an Analyze Manfield newsletter out. Um, I think it's it's either going to be on Leeds or it's going to be on what the numbers say about whether Liverpool will retain their title or not next season. One, one of the two. Either a season preview thing or or something on Leeds. Mm. Um, and to preview on Athletic Five, Dave, or? Um, actually, today's will be looking at a former Liverpool player. People want to have a look at it. Um, I was actually going to message you separately, Josh, to see what you thought on the subject. But it's just about really uh, talking about Danny Ings and such a great campaign last year. But, you know, is is he going to repeat it? You know, he, he kind of overperformed a fair bit against his XG last year. That that's not unusual for elite strikers, as we know. But um, is he is he in that bracket? It's you know, obviously he had two seasons injured at Liverpool, but either side of that, he tended to perform fairly in line with his XG. So it's just exploring that conundrum, really. Um, so yeah, make sure you sign up. Um, it's completely free, obviously. Um, just needs an email as well. Don't need your contact details. And you can find the link on on my Twitter or by searching Analytics Five on Twitter. Got some designated Twitter accounts. Good stuff. So thanks for tuning in. Hopefully the audio was a bit better this episode, and we will be back next week to analyse what happened against Leeds. Hopefully it was a win, and we will look ahead to Chelsea actually. So uh, it's good to get the season started. Enjoy the opening weekend, and see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.